But for right now, our reading today is Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, just like summer itself, I'm sorry to say that we are well over halfway through our, our summer sermon series, Fruit of the Spirit. I can see it on your faces. Let's just give a collective like, like groan a little bit because it's kind of sad, right? Oh, you know, we're sad about the sermon series. We're sad about summer, right? But it's hot and humid. We're going we're gonna to enjoy what's left. There's still more to go. And because we're not finished yet, um, what that means is that we still have time to memorize this list of attributes that the Apostle Paul uses to describe what we call the single fruit of the Spirit's presence inside of us. And so I, you're forgiven if you haven't yet memorized this yet. We're going to put it up here on the screen and I want you to say this list with me out loud. My goal for all of us is that we're going to have it in our hearts and our minds before the end of the summer. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Give yourselves a hand, because I know some of you are, you've got, it's coming, right? Like, you've got it. I memorized this during a sermon series that I attended probably like 15 or 20 years ago now, okay? Um, so, so what you're remembering today is going to carry with you for years to come. And that's why I want you to have that in your hearts. And today, as we look at this list, we're talking about faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness in, in English, in the Greek, it's interchangeable in the New Testament with the word faith. And so we're going to talk about faith and we're going to talk about faithfulness. And I'm mindful that of everything on this list, just like everything on this list, faith and faithfulness works in tandem with the other attributes that we've been learning throughout the summer. For example, to have patience is to have faith there's going to be enough time, right? Right? That's the way that works. Uh, to experience goodness is to have faith that God has made the world and the people in it good. What is love except to be faithful? Right? Is there such a thing as to express our love and not be faithful? What is peace but to have faith? They're all connected. And every time we talk about faith or faithfulness, I'm always reminded that unlike many concepts and traditions and even other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible gives us both a clear definition and a clear example of what faith 
and faithfulness looks like. We see a clear definition and we have a clear example. And so let's start with a clear definition of what faith is. And I reference this verse often. So you may have this one memorized as well. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Why don't you say it with me? Because it's a good one to memorize. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the definition of faith. It is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, you don't have to have faith if you can see it. Confidence and hope suggest something in the future, something unseen. And yet if we just stop there at the biblical definition of faith, the truth is we will not find ourselves any closer to God or any more faithful than anybody else because faith in and of itself is actually not that remarkable. And there's three things we're going to learn about faith. Three things we're going to learn about faithfulness. The first thing is that everyone has faith in something. Everyone has faith in something. Several years ago, I was preaching about faith, and I got that 80s song in my head, Faith, by George, um, by, by George Michael. You know, the, gotta have faith, faith, faith. You know what I'm talking about. Now you're going to have it in your head. And, and I remember, I think I even said this when I was preaching about it. I thought, I could use that in my sermon. And so I looked it up on YouTube, and then I remembered what the rest of the song sings about, and I thought, I can't use that in my sermon. Because <laughs> it has nothing to do with faith in God. Nothing at all to do with faith in God. But the truth is, like, that's applicable in and of itself, because how often do we have faith that also has nothing to do with God. We all put our faith in something. It's not always in God, even if you consider yourself a Christian. And sometimes that's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's just a neutral thing. It's just what everyday life looks like. For example, last week uh, I spent several days, if you get our email, you saw this picture in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, How many of you have been out to the Rocky Mountains at some point in your life? Um, Not only are you... Those of you at home, I hope you're raising your hand too, but those of you here in person, when you're raising your hand, uh, I can see you're almost like smiling. You know how beautiful that country is, don't you? I mean, it's just incredible. First time I've ever been out there, I was with 30 or so Lutheran pastors from all around the country um, for a continuing education retreat. Um, That's something that as a congregation, you support my ability to be able to do so. Thank you um, for for that and and allowing me to be away last week for that, Um, but it was the first time that I traveled, not just the first time that I'd ever been there, but it was the first time in a year and a half that I've done that kind of traveling. First time I've been on a plane since before the pandemic, all of those things. And so I had a lot of stuff that I had to make sure was all in a row. I had to make sure that I had my plane ticket. I had to make sure that I had my rental car and housing reservation. And I was mindful that as I went through this journey, each step required a significant amount of faith confidence in what I hoped for and assurance of what I did not see. I had to have faith that that the plane was going to take off on time. I had to have faith that the safety checks were complete, that the pilot was competent. I had to have faith when I sat next to a pilot on my plane ride back that that wasn't the same pilot that was supposed to be flying the plane. I had to have faith that that was going to be the case. When, When we landed, I had to have faith that my rental car would be there, that the rental car company would set it aside. And not just that there would be a vehicle, but that it would be in safe and working order because I'm not the one that takes 
takes care of that car. I had to have faith when I embarked one afternoon up into the mountains on a couple of mile hike. I had to have faith that the article that I read five minutes before when I googled what to do if you encounter a bear was written by somebody that actually knew what he was talking about if you encounter a bear. You know what you do if you encounter a bear? You give it a bear hug. That's what he said. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. I actually don't remember what it said, and some of you are thinking, maybe he did see a bear, and this sermon is about to get really good. I didn't, and I'm thankful that that didn't happen. I'm mindful that every step I took, though, as I went up the mountain and back down, was a step of faith, sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious, as I trusted that the ground underneath my feet was secure. See, we can't get out of bed in the morning without having faith. Even those of us who are anxious and worried. I mean, isn't anxiety not the clinical kind, but, but the, the everyday kind of anxiety and worry? Isn't it misdirecting our faith into something that we know inside of us and we fear is going to fail us at some point? Isn't that what anxiety and worry is? We all have faith. And so, what makes faithfulness and the fruit of the Spirit variety unique is the second thing we learn, and that is that the Christi- Christianity is to put your faith specifically in God. It's to put your faith specifically in God. Back to the definition in Hebrews 11. Look at verse 1. It says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what the ancients were commended for. Several years ago, we did a sermon series called Heroes of the Faith. And uh, we went through several heroes from throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Um, but specifically, we focused on a number of them that are listed in the verses that follow this verse. Um, people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab. And the list goes on. And the author says here that each one of these individuals was commended not because they are any different than you and me. They were commended because the object of their faith was God. And that's what we're learning in the reading that we're getting into today in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7.7 again says this. It says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all people. Now, a little bit of context. These words are written at the time of Moses. God is preparing the nation of Israel to transition from having been slaves in Egypt to freedom in the promised land and living out the divine purpose that God has so graciously provided for them. And so what they're doing is here they're being reminded of where they have come from and where they are going and why God chose them to go there to begin with. God's covenant with these people, the nation of Israel, goes all the way back 
back to their ancestors, Abraham and Sarah. And I love the story. How many of you are familiar it's somewhat with the story of Abraham and Sarah? Show of hands. You've heard it before. Abraham and Sarah wanted to have children, right? They were too old beyond childbearing age. And I'm not talking about advanced maternal age. I'm not talking about geriatric pregnancy. I'm talking about like great, great grandparents having a child. Like that's the season of life that they were in. And God promised them that not only were they going to have children, but that their children would become a legacy of descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. And it happened. It actually happened. And because it happened, Abraham and his wife Sarah are considered heroes of the faith. They're considered heroes of the faith. But here's why. Look at verse 11. It says, By faith, even Sarah who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Let me read that again. By faith, this is the same noun in the Greek that we read in Galatians as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. By faith, even Sarah, who was put past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him, God, Faithful, the adjective form of faith, who has made this promise. What does this mean? This means that Sarah was considered a hero of the faith, not because of what she was capable of, but because God was capable of acting out a faith that she herself was not capable of living on her own. She could not have faith without God enabling her to do it, without God giving her the power, without God acting out faith. And you know this because you know that on her own, Sarah was too old. This is why the Bible says she laughed when God told her she was going to have children. And if you know the whole story, you know that her and her husband, they had a pretty bumpy story if you talk about what they were capable of doing in putting their own faith and trust in God's promise. It's just like yours and mine. They struggled to believe it. They tried to take matters into their own hands. They tried to work around it. They tried to overcome their doubts. But what made all the difference was not themselves, but it was in whom they were putting their faith in, to whom they looked toward. She considered him faithful who had made the promise. She laughed because she knew what she was capable of. She knew her limitations. And when we talk about faith and faithfulness, let's be honest, don't we know our limitations too? I mean, don't you know yours? I know I know mine. And it's why we need to talk about the fact that our faith has to be different, right? We want our faith to be different. And what makes our faith different is by putting it in God. And not putting our faith in God because we are capable or any more capable than anybody else or that even that we are even any more faithful but because God himself is faithful. And I said at the beginning there is a clear definition in scripture of what faith is and there's also a clear example of what it looks like to be faithful. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 gives us the clear definition and then our reading in Deuteronomy shows us the clear example of faithfulness. Here's the example. It's God. It's not you. It's not Moses. 
It's not Israel. They're actually saying that. God didn't choose you because you were better than everybody else. He chose you because he is better, because he is God, because he is faithful. It continues in verse 8 by saying, It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful. God is faithful apart from our own faithfulness. It is a fruit of his Spirit, not yours. Remember we talk about that with all the other things? I I often feel like it's so clear to me when I talk about peace, right? The aspect of the fruit of the Spirit of peace. How many of us need more peace? Show of hands. How many of us need more peace? Okay. How many of us aren't being honest? (laughs) Right. We could all use more peace, right? And, And I'm just mindful as we strive for that peace by doing all sorts of different things, going on vacations, doing whatever, we cannot generate something that only comes from God. Here's the thing. The same can be said about faith. God is faithful. And he is the source of faithfulness. It is a fruit of his spirit, not yours. If you think back and you realize that you have been less than faithful to God, to other people, well, of course, right? Because the source of faith is not you. It's him. He is the example of perfect faith. He is a perfect loving father in heaven who faithfully loves his children even when we are incapable of perfectly putting our own faith and trust in him. And because he is faithful, because he is faithful to us, we can put our faith and trust back in him, which leads us to the last thing we learn about faith. Our life will reflect the object of our faith. Our life will reflect the object of our faith. James 2.26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The object of our faith determines the direction of our life. And to close, I'll I'll share this. Eugene Peterson, uh, he is the one who wrote the paraphrase to the Bible called The Message. In in a book, a lesser-known book he wrote called Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he expounds on Psalm 125. And verse 1 of Psalm 125 says this. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And he goes on and he tells this story in his book about when he was a kid. And he used to have to walk about a mile to school. And he would walk along with two of his friends. And there was this, this part of their journey that they would walk along uh, railroad tracks. And of course, they're three young boys, right? So what do three young boys do when they walk by some railroad tracks? They go walk on the railroad tracks. And not in between the railroad tracks, but they would walk on the railroad track. And it was always like this challenge to try to to not fall off the entire way. But part of the challenge wasn't just that you wouldn't fall off, but it was also that at the same time, you would try to get your friends to fall off. And so Peterson said they would do all sorts of things. They would throw things at each other. They would yell, and I quote, dead body in the ditch, train coming, you know, things like that, trying to get their friends to fall 
off. And he continues by saying this. He said, you know, some suppose that that's kind of like what the Christian life is like. It's like, like to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is like teetering and wobbling along a rail, taunted by the devil and his angels. Like, like with some skill and a lot of luck, maybe then we'll make it to heaven, but it's an uncertain business at best. But friends, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. That's not what it means to have faithfulness as it manifests itself in the fruit of the Spirit living in us. And if that's what your faith looks like, I mean, I read that and I thought, my goodness, how often is that how my faith looks like? Is anybody, can, can, does anybody else agree with me? Do you feel that way sometimes? That's what it feels like to follow God? Can I just, can somebody raise their hand so I don't feel like I'm alone? If that's how you feel, and we all go through seasons, we all go through moments, maybe every single day where that's how it feels, here's what that's telling you. It tells you that you're probably putting more faith in yourself than you are putting faith in the faithfulness of God. Christianity and the Christian living is about faith in a faithful God. Of faith that Peterson says in his, his book a little bit earlier, he says, all persons of faith that I know are sinners. All of them. <laughs> They're all doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. The opening phrase in Psalm 125 says, those who trust in God, not those who trust in their performance, not those who trust in their morals, not those who trust in their righteousness, not those who trust in their health, their pastor, their doctor, their president, their economy, their nation, those who trust in God, those who decide that God is for us and will make us whole eternally. Friends, the clear example of faithfulness is found on every single page of Scripture, just like it will be found on every single page of your life and mine. And it is not alone in any individual or any effort. It is found in the presence of God and His faithfulness throughout all of it. Lamentations 3 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So let's come before God and, and thank him for that right now. Lord Jesus. Great is your faithfulness. Great is the faithfulness of a, of a faithful and loving and just God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The sin of ancient Israel was to look out at the promised land and think to themselves that we're better than everyone else. That somehow we've earned this opportunity to have this great purpose, to bring glory to God's name, to enter this place, to do his will, to walk in his ways. 
And the truth is we're not. And that isn't to beat ourselves up on that truth. It's that if we don't put our faith in you, God, we're putting our faith in ourselves. And how often do we fail ourselves? How often do we come up against the place in the journey of life where we put our foot down and the ground underneath it is shaky and broken and we don't trust it and we worry and we have anxiety because we have been putting our faith in the wrong things. And so help us to come before you now, God, and renew our commitment to putting our faith in you. I I love what Martin Luther used to do as a reminder of the gift of faith that is not something we can attain on our own. It's a promise that's made in the waters of our baptism. He would splash his face, even when he would wake up in the morning just to, to wash off for the day. He would splash his face and he would say, Martin, you're baptized. And so, God, I pray that as we come before you this morning, that we would remember the promise of our baptism, that we are a child of God, not because of what we've done, but for what God has done for us. Help his faithfulness to be the reminder that that sinks deeper into our hearts as we come before this feast table that Jesus has given us.